Exit for Podcast Mutants, Magic, and Marvels is brought to you by the Cage Club Network. So for all things media, check out cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. And for all things X's for Podcast, check out X's for Podcast on Twitter and YouTube. Everybody, welcome to the first ever X's for Show Breaking Report. We are here to talk about some major announcements. But first, let's get everybody's names. I'm Nico, and you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at NicoAction. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Hey, I'm TK. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, Hive, everything at XNateXGrayX. Hey everybody, it's Nathan, and you can find me at Dazzler AOA. That's like Dazzler, like in the X-Men vote on twitter and like everywhere else basically i'm tori you can find me on instagram at sm tori and on twitter at tori underscore sheehan and of course this is gene and this is logan <laughs> they're a little green screen artifacted right now but uh <laughs> they're here couldn't have an x-men episode without them but no for real we are here to talk about some major things going on in the x-men universe kicking things off with the x-men vote before getting to some major announcements over in the pages of the x books but uh guys it's x-men vote time which is insane because i feel like i haven't recovered from the previous one what when was the previous one what happened a what year was the, ago what was the <laughs> it was just a lot of twitter drama lots of opinions Lots so, of opinions. yeah, so the, the thing about it is, like, for my sake, the X-Men vote represents something that I think is endemic of falsehood. So the X-Men vote is they say, here's your chance to pick the next X-Team. And sure, I get that. But you're giving me the option of picking from your list, not submitting the ballot. So... I don't feel like the X-Men vote is necessarily about giving people a voice as much as it is about throwing out a bone, but it feels like kind of like a fake bone, and the vote has been pretty obvious since year one. It's like some, like, A-listers, and then it's sort of like, way You always know Micro Max isn't getting it. I know. I was so disappointed. I was like, Micromax is going to win for sure. Do, do they tell you what team they're going to be on? It's the yeah. X-Men specifically. It's the main <laughs> X-Men team. Oh, okay. And, and and who's on the main X-Men team these days? Well, so the other interesting thing is that usually changes at the same time, but okay. that is scripted, planned ahead of time. So, you know, the setup is every year there is a Hellfire Gala, which... Uh, the other insane thing is that a year doesn't pass in real time as it does in comic book time. So in comic book time, it's really been like six weeks since the last time we did one. But they're trying to tell us now that we're it's been another year. So that's already odd. That's confusing. But yeah. at the Hellfire Gala every year, they announce a new X-Men team. Uh, this is the third year running that they've done it. And most of that team, the writers and editorial establish ahead of time and they announce them in the book. And that's to be expected. We all, that's how we've all had our X-Men teams announced to us in the past. A writer decides who they want to work with and then that's the new X-Men team. Since Mr. Leibowitz himself. Exactly. Yeah. Um, 
the one wrinkle is this one member who is put up for a vote and you know we all we all talk about but yeah it is the options are very limited and it's very clear that some of these people simply would not win even if for some reason like marvel wasn't predicting their audience very well and somebody was a surprise dark horse that got 80 percent of the vote um so it's a it's an odd situation the refresh of the team itself is a tough thing because with only 12 issues worth of books we maybe don't get to fall in love with the team the way we you know have in the past yeah i I, i'm i'm very glad for this x-men vote just because i have not liked this x-men team like not not the voted in character i just haven't liked the whole setup that happened this year out of the it was too it was very progressive it was too giant like it was too like oh five kind of team and then the havoc in the got drama again i'm like i thought we were way over that so i i for one am super psyched for the vote because it means that we're going to get a new x-men team but it's very obvious in most of these votes who they really want to win and i think they put some of these characters on teams to gauge people's interest in them appearing in other books or you know growing their brand as a character because we did get out of the first X-Men vote, we knew there was no way Timbo was going to win, but you know, I, we did see after that vote, she got started appearing in books more, and now she's in Marauders, which is like the first time she's actually been in a book as a like main cast kind of character instead of just like an antagonist or a supporting character. Tori, it, it's like, imagine somebody said, because I want to like, you know, Tori, one of the things I know you know so well is like Sailor Moon and stuff. Imagine somebody said, here's a bunch of Constellation Scouts, and one of them is going to get voted onto the Senshi. And it's like they stack it with like, I don't want to say obvious not going to happens, but like, you know, nobody sat there and said to themselves, yeah. You know, Wolverine, maybe he'll get voted on to the team or not. Maybe maybe he should be on the ballot. It's not that kind of vote. Okay. The, yeah, it's Chinese democracy a la Guns N' Roses. Okay. Yep. So, I, I don't know. But what we're here to discuss is, of course, the vote itself. And if I could kick over to our amazing producer, Kevo, and if I could see that amazing vote graphic that you worked on so well today... I am so excited to talk about these six characters because I I have no patience for Juggernaut winning. No, God, no. No, but, no humans is mutant representation. But there's no bad characters on this list. It's just someone doesn't belong there. I don't know that Juggernaut doesn't belong there. Juggernaut has been an X-Man. We're now entering the era where Krakoa maybe needs to embrace allies. Um, I do not believe Juggernaut is going to win, but uh, it would be interesting, you know, if we're talking about Fall of X, which I don't also don't believe that that's going to really be the end of Krakoa. And assuming it's not, and, you know, Krakoa has real staying power and this is a five or ten year thing. Um, I am really interested in the in the phase of Krakoan culture where they start to embrace 
the true allies and the people that have always been there for them. And Juggernaut has not always been there for them. <laughs> but uh, he recently has been pretty great and he and his husband deserve a life together and you know like he would be top of my list of allies the other one i've always said nico is wilson like if mary shows up on the island i feel like wilson would be an opportunist but would be a very strong ally to krakoa you know and would not care about the fact that they were would love them all for how they were useful to him, not, you know, regardless of the fact that they were mutants. And yes, Walker and Fisk, if you're uh, wondering, Tori. Walker and Fisk. Okay. <laughs> okay, so, like, before TK, I would have agreed with you, but in the Krakoan era, I think Juggernaut has no place uh, as the main, as a mainline superhero in the Krakoan X-Men team, because this is a team vote in story voted for by the citizens of Krakoa. So, like, why would they choose a human who has antagonized them so much? And and I think I had no problem with humans ever, human mutates ever being on the team before when they were in Westchester and their dream was about, you know, coexistence. But this is mutants create, creating their own society and showing humans how they can, how it should go. But, you know, I just want to say that if somebody's going to put the ass in Assimilationist, I'm really glad it's Juggernaut's big beefy behind. So that's definitely uh, where I'm at, you know? Well, to, to me, one, you should always have a diplomat. or Well, and I'm not saying that Juggernaut's a diplomat, but someone who can stand in for how, from the outside in. So you always bring in one person from the outside. And then um, I think... I mean, I don't know what's up with Charles and Juggernaut lately, but it is highly possible that uh, perhaps the addition of Juggernaut here is to kind of bring in the idea that Charles isn't exactly 100% right on where Kokoa is going or should be going, and that there is uh, some rot underneath the state of Krakoa that needs to be found out or exposed. And I think that Juggernaut would be the right character to do that if there's going to be a fall coming. Well, and I really love that you were like, what's the nature of the relationship with, you know, Charles right now? Because as a rule, the nature of the relationship there is always, um, what's your brother? <laughs> I'm not sure. But, okay, we're talking a lot about my dream bottom, uh, Kane Marco, but I would like to, oh, man, he's just so... It's just so great that Juggernaut has this moment and Krakoa at all. You know, I don't believe he deserves to be on the X-Men team. He should stay with Psy over on Locks. But um Okay. We have a we have a cool we have a cool lineup. We got six characters here. Cannonball, Dazzler, Frenzy, Jubes. We got Oh wow, he's flying right through him. We got uh he's so good. Kevin's the best producer in the world. Next up we got I don't remember who's Juggernaut, and then lastly we got Prodigy. Prodigy. Now, Tori, which of these six are you familiar with as somebody uh, a little bit more on the fringes of X-Culture, but thoroughly ensconced in fandom and the realities of being a multifaceted fan? I'm, I have definitely heard of Jubilee and Juggernaut before because I watched the uh, cartoon. I'm aware of Dazzler because it's in Nathan's screen name. 
Bless. <laughs> and uh, this prodigy person sounds vaguely familiar. I, I talk about him a lot. I love him. Yeah. He comes and up. The other ones, I'm just like, mm-hmm. sure. Sure. Okay. Oh, well, you know, you did see Cannonball uh, when we covered uh, Spellbound. Oh, for like a hot minute. Oh, yeah. Violet oh, Janey's underage boyfriend. He, oh, he was that blonde. As he, yes. The other blonde. And yep. the other blonde. He was the blonde dude, and then for some reason, Warlock shows up for a second, even though he is a machine person that never lets himself look human. He just is a blonde dude in a polo shirt for one panel. Um, but yeah, so you have seen Cannonball before, but I don't believe at any point in Spellbound did he mention that he is nine vulnerable when blasting. So, yeah. you know, you didn't know the facts. Yeah. <laughs> so now I want to talk for a minute about some of these characters, their longevity in the X books. And I would love to start on good old fashioned Cannonball, Sam, the Hayseed. He is kind of famous for representing white disadvantage in X-Men for a really long time because even though Scott is like you know like "Mm, Scott he's had the hard life womp womp when he's not an orphan he's getting pushed out of a plane he's always kind of been like the good boy who's kind of had like the Xavier scholarship but Sam Sam's dad died from some combination of a cave-in and the black lung. I don't remember which one killed him, but if it wasn't that one, it was going to be the other one. It so was Sam, the mines. The cave-in. There you go. I thought he got killed by the black lung, right? And I then, thought he got the black lung, and he died of the black and, lung yeah, then, from the mines. And Sam, the the like accident was like Sam got discovered to be a mutant because the cave-in, and he like blasted out. Yeah, yeah. So... Cannonball has long been like, I don't know how to mutant. And then he got a whole bunch of family, including a real hot, cool sister. And uh, yes, Sam, yes, yes. Jacob, Jacob Kruger, one of our amazing contributors. Uh, He, they just out there killing it with uh, that reference. Thousand percent. So Cannonball is kind of like, um, the dumb because he is specifically dumb I'm not like being judgmental of the peoples Sam is literally a bunch of bad tropes and they've tried to fix it by giving him better tropes like he's very attracted to strong personalities including strong women but ultimately he sort of comes across like the teenager that can't ever grow up despite having been given so many stints on the X-Men it's almost a shame if he gets another yeah, I mean, yeah. I, and I don't think that this is, you know, this is such an interesting group because they have, a lot of them have been X-Men or are very plausible. Like, Prodigy is the only one who seems like a little bit of an outlier in terms of he's never really been an X-Man. He's kind of a kid. Um, it would be a, a pretty big upgrade and switch for him. But the rest of them have been X-Men kind of in some capacity or are playing with the adults at the adult level at some point. And Sam is just the perfect example of why it's probably not going to be him. Because despite the fact that like it's plausible, he's been an X-Man before, it just kind of doesn't work. Uh, Him and Chamber are two fantastic examples of people who graduated to the X-Men. And then immediately we were like, I don't want you to graduate to the X-Men. I want your team 
to be seen as important as the X-Men and to be playing on their level, but I'm not interested in like graduation. Ah, poor Guthrie. Like I like I love Sam. I love Sam. He's a, such a lovable character. I I want more for him than to just have the sporadic appearances he's have, but I do love the role he's in now as like devoted like house husband and like you know just like like one of like the best husbands and dads to like um his galactic cosmic family like i for him to go to the x-men to me doesn't seem very in line with his character uh who's gonna watch izzy like who's like vado i mean but he's busy on mars he's not even on chandelar anymore so like it's just I, if I if I were to see him in something, I'd love to see him more in like a a galactic book, or if they ever did like a Shar book, or like find some way to make him a Star Jammer or something. Do a Star Jammer book that would make sense, fit his character development. I just can't see him going back to the X Men or wanting to be on Krakoa part full time. Tori, he could be played by James Vanderbeek in Varsity Blues. Ah, uh, yes, I'm getting that Jesus of Suburbia feel off of. Him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Here's my question. Are we going to, like, because it, it sounds like for a lot of these people, for them to step onto the X-Men stage would be a big shift for all of them. And so are we going to get, like, the reasoning behind why? Like, are we going to fridge a daughter? Is something going to happen? Like, are we going to get a reason why these folks are being shoved into the main line again? It has so far twice been weird psychic intrusive manipulations in a way that has been really unflattering of multiple characters. It's like everybody's like, oh, I went into your brain and decided you probably wanted this, so I did it for you. Like, yeah. Scott Summers and his complicated girlfriends. (laughs) Well, well, he's got a type and it's one person. Well, it's it's. Two sides of that one person in multiple hair shades. So, so here, here. So I, I did the, I, I read the first of the Dazzler Grindhouse with um, what's the what's their other faces? Exterminators. Uh, yeah, that one. And so. Um, it feels to me like Dazzler's already starting to get a lot of traction. Is this sort of the feeling that between her and Jubilee, who is a more like generally known character from the cartoon with the cartoon coming back, like that these are the two like head runners? Uh, so, okay. I would love, I think the top two nominees are going to be Jubilee and Juggernaut. Because, I mean, Juggernaut really did have a lot of the popularity, uh, what, maybe 10 years ago with the whole, I'm Juggernaut, bitch, thing that was going on. Um, You know, so, like, I think those are the top two. I think Dazzler has a pretty dedicated fan base and semi, like, she did show up in the animated series. And she was in that Pride of the X-Men one. She was in the X-Men arcade game, too. So, like, she's a little bit more outside. So, like, maybe she's, like, the number three out of this group of more known people. Teak, where do you think she falls? Because, like, I know I'm really torn. I think she's got to be in the top three. But 
I don't know. Here's the th- here's my question, I guess, for you first, Teak, and then to everybody else. But for Prodigy, we have the X Factor. And for Juggernaut, we have the Ally Factor. And for Dazzler, we kind of have, like, the Gay Factor. Yeah. And there's enough, you know, gay. And I think that we could homosexify this vote and accidentally swing it toward Dazzler with the sheer force of our, you know. But I think the gay vote gets a little divided between Dazzler and Jubilee. Like, if you're going on purely, like, the gay vote, you know. I'm purely Team Frenzy, so... Oh, no, I think we temporarily have... Oh, is oh, he no. there? Oh, I got out. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to temporarily remove him for one second, see if that helps fix things, and keep on rolling. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I think one of the big things for me is that complicated thing of the gay factor, right? Like, the gay factor is, is such an important thing because any minority group factor, I don't want to speak for all minority groups by saying, you know, everybody falls under this same heading, but... A good number of people in a protected class that have longed for the visibility of a group will sometimes lose sight of things. Like, I think it's worth noting that Prodigy, canonically queer. Frenzy, at least implicitly queer. Juggernaut, fandom thinks he's queer. (laughs) But I think Dazzler still might get the gay vote. Well, I think a we, certain type of gay, yes. We love a skinny blonde girl. <laughs> Teak, do we have you back, buddy? I don't think so. Give me another second. You got it. Oh, no. So while we keep on rolling ahead for a little bit, one of the big things that I think is central to this vote is recognizing that this is an uncomfortably in many ways safe lineup i love that it is two people uh it's actually three people of color we have two uh i wanted to specifically highlight that we have two black nominees which i think is terrific we have a, a nominee of asian descent and that's so important we have so much queerness on this ballot but one of the things that i think it also plays to is the overwhelmingly human look of the x men despite a desire to see that sort of evolution of visage, I just don't expect this to be an overwhelmingly non-human looking X-Men such that this crew would be, you know, these would be the most human looking. Is, is this, uh, you've talked a lot about assimilation. Is, is this something that Krakoa is really pushing? Like the, like they, uh, like we had in like the late nineties into the aughts and the early teens of, of like normal gays coming fo- uh, being pushed forward to make it more palatable. Is that where we are in the assimilation scale or? Krakoa is pretty anti that, but the X-Men team itself in the way that it is functioned under the current run by Dugan is very assimilationist. They're like the, like, 
hey, you know, we are not all big scary mutants living on this big island having orgies. We are also your heroes and we are going to come and save the day. And the, and I, I feel Krakoa has sent very safe mutants, or at least the writing team has sent very safe mutants out into the world as like their like PR face team. And you know, that's part of the complicated nature of the thing the X-Men are trying to do right now. When you are trying to service the needs of a minority group, but you're playing to a bigger audience, you're always afraid that you're going to be exclusionary of the larger audience. So by being more coded queer, although it's not even that coded, but like, you know, it's mutant, so it is coded. But by being more coded queer with queer people and by being more coded with within like a community of color and still having, you know, characters who are characters of color, I think you wind up trying to play the best parts of the metaphor in direct in indirect ways. And you wind up trying to highlight things that I don't know. I just feel like it's hard not to notice the very attractive nature of these characters and it's not like there's an overwhelming number of hideous X-Men but there are enough mutants that we could be seeing somebody with a little bit more of a mutation and not a Mystique mutation because Mystique's mutation is she's so pretty she's even just so she's, pretty even when she's blue she's pretty she's just so hot She's so hot, you don't even mind that she's wearing skulls. Hell, you're into it because of the skulls. Uh, that makes me more into it. Kind of, yeah. 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 I mean, do you think that... I mean, I would be very interested in seeing an entire team of the less... Uh, the more visibly mutant like team up and kind of be the counterculture uh, to the assimilationist of like we're we're here we're mutants like you're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna play your game like we're not you and you don't want us no matter how much we play it being you so we're gonna still That's do kind our of thing of X-Men green and kind of legion and every, of x yeah. and, and a little bit uh that team round has the um that showed up in the uh, oh dark riders yeah the dark riders yeah Okay, so Teak, welcome back to the show. We missed you terribly, but I Thank understand Krakow and Gateways. You got to do what you got to do. Truly, um, is the worst. We were talking about how, well, I posited that despite the fact that several of these characters are either directly or coded queer, I still think Dazzler is going to steal the queer vote because essentially we as a culture kind of lean toward the pretty girl. And uh, it got us onto the discussion yeah. of the, the uh, I said the immolationist, the way the X-Men can't stop lighting things on fire. Um, <laughs> pyro the, from that team. Banshee's Both head. pyros. Yeah. Oh my God. I can't believe we're getting a Wolverine Ghost Rider crossover. Thanks for listening to our show, Ben Percy. <laughs> so uh, talk to us, TK. Gay, gay X-Men voting, voting for gays. The Pete Buttigieg effect on X-Men. So Are you the up. booty judge? My vote is for Frenzy. And Mine too! Yeah, I mean, come on. My vote is for Frenzy. My queer vote is really for Frenzy. Um, I... I don't think we are going... Uh, yes, ultimately, do I feel that Dazzler will have the majority of the queer vote? Sure. 
I, I don't think we are going to be as united on this one as possible oh, because no. Prodigy yeah. is my second next one because he is the, well, you know, and then there's Juggernaut who, you know, more and more we are acknowledging that what this is with Black Tom is a homosexual relationship. So I don't know. It's kind of all over the place. Um, but, you know, I know that one of the things you guys were talking about is the fact that yet again, it's really disappointing that we're not going to get a visibly mutated person on the team through the vote anyway. You know, there were candidates last time. It's really disappointing. We don't even have candidates this time around that are, you know, visibly mutants. That's where it is basically the Kylie Minute. Jacob was obviously listening in on our on our green room chat. Um, but I have to ask now, because Tori, I saw you notably flinch. Not like flinch, not like, ew, gays. I don't want gays with muscles. Um, but I saw you react. Were you unaware that we, as a fandom, have decided that Black Tom is now uh, gay? With So it's like, you know, gay Tom and um, bottom knot. I mean, it probably would help if I knew who Black Tom was, but sure. He's a big tree. And he's Banshee's cousin brother. Yeah. Yeah, Juggernaut getting ridden by Cassidy, that's, uh, yeah. I have an outfit change to do, so I'm going to be right back. But you guys, I have to ask a big question, because this is why I have these dates up on the book, uh, of their original appearances and stuff. We've got Marvel graphic novel and... X-Factor and New Mutants as outliers from the original series. We've got Jubilee, Dazzler, and Juggernaut appearing in the original X-Men book, but I can't help but notice, while there are a lot of things that are maybe a little bit different about these characters, one unavoidable is there is nobody up for the vote with less than 20 years of publication. Wow. Yeah, it's David by far who is the newest. And, you know, I I think that makes a certain degree of sense. Um, I, But I don't really know what our mission statement with the X-Men is anymore. Uh, a lot of it is kind of about what's going to play well to the public, both in-universe and, like, for us. Uh, and I think the conventional wisdom is that it's always going, you're always going to want kind of more recognizable characters, more commercially viable characters, ones with some experience. And that's why I don't think that David really has a chance anyway, because like, even though I think he's really cool and he has been around for 20 years at this point, uh, I don't think he's the household name that Dazzler is, for instance. I kind of agree. Like the idea that even if you're not picking up the these major series, is you would at least you might pick up the annual or like a couple of crossover things. So it's more likely that you would run into these characters if they've been around a really long time. Like it's more likely that they will eventually end up in an annual, eventually end up in a mini series. And if you don't have that kind of time under your belt, you've been put in front of fewer and fewer eyeballs. So I can get it, but also like we could have some really neat folks who are very, very new and we know the least about and it would be the least confusing to, to just throw them into this pot because it wouldn't damage the, you know, 60 year history. I mean, that's the really tough thing right now. Like, I feel like what I see a lot of the time and this is being a like terminally online X-Men fan is that 
people are having a lot of fun. Readers are having a lot of fun with obscure characters, characters with fewer appearances, newer characters. Um, but we have to accept that they're not as commercially viable. And it's this really tough push and pull where I want to see the X-Men succeed overall. I want great people to be able to write co good comics and get paid to do it and live well from doing the work. And I recognize that part of that is using commercially viable characters at the same time, because the X-Men have had so many great writers who have, you know, done a mix of commercially viable characters and, you know, created new ones. You know, I, I think about like some of the characters that Christina created for, her Generation X team, and we don't really see them anymore. Um, you know, the the, the before the, Nature Girl, yeah, yes. Besides Nature Girl, you know, but I'm thinking about like Benjamin Deeds, and uh, yep. you know, we just don't hear from those characters as much. But Jubilee, of course, we do. So it's it's always really tough. I really do wish there was an easier way to make these less recognizable characters get some limelight and you know have some room to explore infinity comics are one really great avenue but you know when i look at something like the x-men vote which would be a great opportunity to put up six characters that have a lot of potential um it's a bummer that it is four characters that are really pretty well known well yeah. and you know if we could flash back to those dates for one moment i think the other thing about the dates that stands out to me is it's not just that it's, you know, no one less than 20 years ago. It's also that almost everybody is within a decade. Almost everybody is from 1979 to 1989 with Juggernaut as a 1965 outlier and then David as the 19-2003 outlier. And it just really makes me reflect on how often the X-Men struggle to step outside of the Claremont era. I know that these aren't all Claremont characters, but they are hallmarks of the Claremont era. It's, yeah, I mean... Don't get me wrong, Claremont kind of hated Adler and actually wanted to kill her off, like, for good. <laughs> Repeatedly. <laughs> like, in the Outback era, like, he was like, I want to kill her. But then he, like, just, you know, did the whole Seas Perilous thing. But, um, it, it's really, it's really crazy. It, I think it's part of the fact that if you think about how the cycles in comics, they all have to deal with what we, as readers, knew when we grow up. And that those creators harken back to those teams that they love so that like the cycles come in as these waves of talent come in and they all are sort of nostalgic for the era that they grew up with and it just happened it just it did that character fall in that cycle kind of thing as whether you know there's going to be a resurgence or not which was about i just want to didn't want to cut anybody off um and yeah so it's with this in mind that I rather than want to kind of finish out our discussion of the vote with anything too negative, I would love to say something positive that I think this vote has led me to in a, in a really exciting way. If nothing else, these votes are forcing change. 
I used to become so frustrated when an X run I didn't like ran a good four fucking years. And I would be stuck with it from 2001 to 2005. And... (laughs) And it would feature Angel and Paige and Nightcrawler... (laughs) And uh, have a 25 cent issue and uh, crossover as exiles. Chuckles. Do you and know so- how distraught I was when I realized he helped create Steven Universe? <laughs> I get paralyzed. So um, anyway, Chuck Austin's Uncanny X-Men. What a what a moment in time. And you used to get stuck with these runs for so long. But the magic of this vote is that it forces editorial hand to keep advancing the X-Men. And what are the X-Men about, if not evolution? So seeing the X-Men forcibly evolve by vote is kind of a metaphor for the ways that the X-Men were originally five very suburban white kids who have now become the uncanniest queers and people of color and people with disabilities and just overall represent what they were always meant to. And I love that about these votes. I mean, I love, like, at the end of the day, these characters are classics. The reason why, you know, I think we're maybe skewing a little negative is because it's like, of course we love all these characters. Like, that's not even question. Now, what about everybody else? Um, Any one of these characters, I think, would be an amazing X-Man, has been an amazing X-Man. And, you know, whoever it is will be super fun and awesome there are some truly iconic characters here i love that the votes every year get us talking you know i know there is some negativity sometimes it gets really crazy um you know i if if you are the victim of that in a way that is really affecting and terrible i am so sorry uh, I feel very privileged because that never ends up happening to me somehow. And I just get to have really great discussions and, you know, to talk about characters I love. I had such a good time last year talking about how much I love Bling and how I really thought that she would have been an amazing contender. Um, and this year, I'm going to be really excited to talk about Frenzy, kind of the way I was talking about Tempo, who, you know... I, frenzy's lucky she already had that trajectory so when it's not her because i think it won't be i'll be interested to see where she goes next as a result of this vote but you know i just at the end of the day i do have a lot of fun with it uh i i would just say like with i love all these characters um like if if dazzler weren't in the mix i would probably be voting for any number of them um like a lot of great things have happened to these characters recently and being in the x-men vote can only like just amplify the love for those characters um there's so much to love about this like um it there's so much to love about this and it's really hard to you know see anything say anything negative about these characters because we all love them um if you're gonna go out there and campaign to vote be positive about it be yes. you know just remember that a character that you're slagging could be somebody else's favorite character, you know, like, and just be out there respectful and, and have a joyous time. That's what it is. It's a joyous time to talk about your love for these characters that you love so much. Yeah, I think that 
being included in this top six is a great way of say of saying like it's good for these people to be nominated because it means that the editors at least think that these are the touchstones for the community um which means that they have thoughts in their head for these for these folks anyway and they just want to see which one gets pushed forward and which ones end up as a c plot on some other series and so i i think it's really interesting that it's this diverse i think it if you put all the pieces together it can kind of showcase where they might be trying to steer the boat a little bit um and i think that there's just a lot to talk about i'm very i'm kind of interested in like who are the characters that people thought would be on this list or like thought uh you know uh yeah like thought should be on this list thought that that would get would get put forward that kind of stuff but i know that that's uh that is a great can of worms to open in the last five (laughs) well we are rolling right on ahead now tori i have deep respect if you're like i don't even fucking know guys whatever (laughs) but oh did you not get that out of the last 20 seconds oh but we have (laughs) we have something even more confusing in the last in the last 48 hours they've announced four new one shots leading into this summer event and we (laughs) i like saw some covers and i went yeah the sims also just announced a new life (laughs) station for for the babies so like i'm i'm in a whole other twitter world right now respect (laughs) well we have some amazing before the fall covers and each one of them more beautiful than the last and uh just to do a quick rundown of these i am so excited this is going to be a weird crossover because they're kind of already promising it's not going to be what we thought and that's their whole thing right now oh you think the crossover is going to be this but it's going to be that and so i'm fine with it i don't think these four things can possibly come together to paint one picture um i also fuck you for the sinister four like I'm excited for it and it looks cool, but now I kind of have some idea of parts of the ending of Sins of Sinister, kind of, sort of. Like, but to I be feel... fair, come on, you knew. Even before this was announced, we knew no. with Sins of Sinister. We knew. We knew. I just wanted him to die. Come back later. Just die for okay. now. I mean, I don't know that he's not going to. It's, you know, I don't. This is a lot of pronouns. <laughs> I see that. Okay. Well, so let's take a look at these books. Let's let's kick this motherfucker off. We're going to start with Sons of X, which sees um, you know, team favorite Legion go up against it would appear Mother Righteous and we have uh Nimrod. It's by Cy Spurrier, Phil Noto. This is really beautiful. Tori, this is the character that had the show Legion over on FX for several years. And um, the plot we're seeing right now involves Marjali Zardos. It would appear like corrupting Nightcrawler into an actual demon. Not again. Yeah, this one's wacky. And uh, (laughs) I am curious what you guys feel because this kind of feels like they're not letting Cy Spurrier finish a book before uh, pivoting everything really hard to a mini series. How do you guys feel about the Sons of X 
preview that we've gotten. I'm you know, actually really excited about the idea of, you know, you get your 10 or 12 issue series run, whatever it is, and then your capstone is kind of like either a one shot like this or a small mini or like something that's going to lead into something else. You know, I this event, I don't know how it's all going to play out, but. I do think that we are going into like follow backs is going to be more of an era than an event and whatever is happening, we're going into the thing that happens after destiny of X. And so, you know, to write your story, get a one shot capstone that then gets you to the next era might be a really good and enjoyable strategy. As long as the writer gets to do everything they need to do. I, I got to say, as legion of x has continued as if, if you consider if you consider its whole saga from way of x to legion of x to now it's going to be sons of x like I, the quality has really progressed i think sexpear has gotten a better hang of netcrawler's character and um the way the, the storyline has been really cool legion of x ends in a really cool way so i can't wait to see how sons of x picks up from that and it's nice to see what's going to continue from that story based on, um, you know, what the story was and how it ended. So, Tori, were you aware, as somebody who dips her toes into the Marvel Universe the ways you do, were you aware that one of the big things that's been percolating in all of this, like everything we're talking about in terms of like the Krakoan era, one of the major elements has been the mutant machine war? No, I was not aware, officer. Yeah, and like that's even what I mean. Like this has been such a background thing for so long that it almost takes away some of the excitement for me. It's like the Nimrod stuff was so prevalent in early uh Krakoan X-Men. Yeah. And it just feels like this thing, this next level idea that is so around us. I mean, I got most of my notes for this episode from Chat GPT. So I feel like more than ever, we are facing, you know, a time where Nimrod is kind of a conversation point. And to hear that somebody who has read a number of X books in the last two years with us had no idea that the mutant machine war has been boiling in the background leaves yeah. me a little bit worried about the trajectory of that storytelling. What are we talking about? the robot a robot uprising or are the sentinels okay like what what's going on here so nimrod is basically like uh magneto for sentinels and he's a little bit like look at my helmet look at my big helmet oh yeah and he's like i'm so purple i am the kool-aid man and i am a robot from the future kill 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 oh you know what I never realized? He has a diamond on his chest. <gasps> He's a sinister bot. Oh my god, if Orcus is just sinisters, I'll just... <laughs> so so Nimrod's not one of the faces in the front? No, that's uh, the one on the left is Legion, and the one on the right is Mother Righteous. Yes. Ah, cool. So, but I, I'm glad that it has taken a while to get to this, the various phases of the mutants versus machines thing, because what it has meant is that Krakoa is not kind of 
a rush thing and that it's not just going to be over really quickly like this war has had time to simmer um it, to me what it indicates is like this is an ongoing conflict and not a story that is told and then and then over with so my hope is that we don't really wrap it up here either i like agreed what Kev, i liked what kevo had to say too like i think that they're is so, because there are so many characters and there's so much going on, it is very easy for stuff to just be little drip drops in the background until all of a sudden someone turns around and goes, guess what we're doing this fall? So. Well, speaking of this fall, this was just one of several one-shots, and our next one-shot announced for Before the Fall is and I'm vamping for time because I don't remember what it is. Well, we there. Hey, hey, cover. Of we have Heralds of Apocalypse by Al Ewing, uh, Luca Pizzari. It's going to be on sale in June. It's the return of Apocalypse, and it's Apocalypse and his wife and his kids. This is a major change. So, Tori, you're looking befuddled. It is ultimately revealed that basically Apocalypse is the Dick Van Dyke of scary ancient mutants just waiting for an ottoman to trip over. And his wife is sort of like, oh, Pac! And his kids are uh, a lot. And he works in advertising. That makes sense. They don't call him Blue Dad for nothing. <laughs> no, yeah, like seriously, they've turned him into like the ultimate family man. And it turns out everything he's been doing has been because he's been so sad that uh, the mutants were like his family was split into another realm and he's been trying to reunite them. And that's what all of Hoxpox is. It's basically him reuniting uh, mutants with their destiny so he can be reunited with his wife and kids. And it's unfortunately that's what all, that's what all of x of swords was yeah yeah it's all about that yeah, we have to get yeah. everyone back to destiny it can't just be her and mystique all the time like you gotta get other folks in there apocalypse is the ultimate wife guy he's more of a wife guy than jeff goldblum so like well you know and unfortunately we never really got to see it they they did such a good job of making that clear in like five pages yeah. um we didn't get a lot with them which was great. Uh, I've been salivating for it, and I felt like this is one of those times where I'm salivating, but I know I'm going to get it. And so this is actually sooner than I had expected. Yep. I'm super stoked. I am so titillated by this title, Heralds of Apocalypse. For the first time, we're not saying horsemen, and that is so important for some reason that we're going to find out. But... Um, I, uh, this is, this is like, uh, the machines. Like this is something that the, if they paid it off really soon, it would mean ending sooner. And the fact that we took some time away and like really left the audience wanting apocalypse. I am so excited. He's back. Uh, and I bet I'm going to be really gut wrenched by what's going on when he comes back. The fact that Al Ewing's writing this book too. Oh, so good. Oh, like, like so good. Like, uh, Teeny Howard and Hickman did an amazing story with Ten of Swords, but I, I cannot wait to see what Al Ewing's going to do with it because it's going to elevate it even like to the next level. I'm, I'm, I only wish I had an army of castanets to <laughs> click clack around. Uh, you know, one of the things that Al Ewing does is Al Ewing's imagine. Al Ewing likes to imagine a world bigger than limits. So 
he doesn't really think about what are the ends of this story. He just thinks about how much further can the story stretch. And Apocalypse has stretched. I mean, the motherfucker's on a Pilates reformer. He is so stretched out at this point. I mean, he can suck his own ball sack through his nose. And it's great for him. It's a blue, blue ball sack and blue, blue nostrils. But he is... Yeah, him and Reed Richards the only one who can do that. Uh, Well, oh, yeah. I was like, no, Mr. Immortal. Wait, no. I'm thinking flat man anyway. Um, <laughs> flat man. So, <gasps> flat man uh, probably could. Yeah, the GLI, man. So great. So... I think this is going to be a great opportunity for Apocalypse to find a middle ground between, um, and because I mean this really lovingly, but like he does, get, like so. When I think about like really cool mo- like moves in television, something I really love is the decision that in later Modern Family they would spend a lot more time on Claire's career than Phil's career. While Phil continues to be a realtor, his realty is just sort of like a secondary thing, whereas Claire taking over the closet business is a focal point of the series' trajectory. And I really do love the idea that Apocalypse has become sort of a character who can play the... Oh, what he does is in the background, but it's not the trajectory of the book's role. The only thing is that it came at such a fucking pivot. Like... Five years earlier, we were having Apocalypse Wars, and that shit was not Koa-friendly. So I'm a little bit kind of like, maybe this can balance the two, and Al Ewing is the voice to balance the two for me. Yeah, Al Ewing's great at taking toys that other people, like, taking things that other people have put into books and just, like, connecting all the dots. I'm just, I'm just, uh, I'm very excited that Apocalypse Around is, is still around when his future has gone, right? Yeah, I mean, you would genuinely love his his wife and that story as somebody who loves classic romance tales like that. And something that I think, I mean, I mentioned it recently on our live broadcast, when the past changes, like when, when we change the future of stories, like when we added Hoxpox, it's not that all of the apocalypse stuff from the future that never happened anymore wasn't the case. But as other things have changed the course of the Marvel universe, as other strings have changed and other butterfly effects have happened, it's reshaped it so that this was always the case. It's not that there's specific retcons. It's the snowball effect of so many retcons leads to the reimaginings that we come to appreciate. And I just really feel like there's just a little bit of smoothing that needs to be done on Apocalypse to really make it bang the way it deserves to. Now, we have two more, and uh, we're going to fly through these pretty fast because we're actually going through these faster than I expected to. Yay! So uh, the next one is probably the one I am the most excited for, and I I don't feel bad about that because uh, it's Bishop, Cyclops, and Jean Grey written by Steve Orlando with cover by David Badion. It is just too fucking good to be real. It's a queer writer writing Bishop and Jean, who I have had a thing for since the Onslaught days as a pair. Not romantic or anything, although, yes, good for Jean. Um, But just, I don't know, this cover, this idea, this, this pitch, this is the kind of thing that makes my heart skip a beat. Like, this book has my fucking blood going. I'm ready for this. 
That what looks I like know? an eye. Would this be the first time we've seen Gene and Bishop interact since the age of Nate Gray? Uh, with the exception of some, uh, like, him reporting to the War Council, uh, okay. or to the Quiet Council stuff, basically, yes. Okay. Um, what... I am so excited about is that this appears to be the most like not consequential of all of the books. And I'm sure there will be something big that comes of this, but Scott and Jean not being a huge part of whatever's going on with sinister, whatever's going on with apocalypse, like Scott and Jean just doing a mystery of some kind makes me very happy i like them in a place uh that is a little bit off of center because they are so often the focus bishop being there is just kind of icing on the cake it's just going to make the thing so much more awesome and i think it's going to be a really good story and i am sure that ultimately it will have ramifications but there is a point of diminishing returns when it comes to focusing on how important uh gene and scott are and so like putting them in things where they're just doing the work, which has been one of the better parts of X-Men for me overall is where I like them best. Yeah. It's, it's going to be cool to see a continuation of basically Marauders because it's Orlando doing Bishop. So like, it's going to be cool to see that kind of continuation. I, I really am just like psyched to see Scott and Jean outside of the X-Men in have to like maybe 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 we can have them have some talks about their relationship and you know who's thing and who i have long said that the two sexiest x-men are wolverine and bishop like on record on this show a zillion times and i i just really love the idea of bishop kind of standing in for the role that wolverine often plays like there's nothing wrong with having someone else fulfill a similar role i mean i obviously love the fucking guy but I'm so eager to see, because this is the kind of thing we're talking about. We're not just talking about putting Bishop on a fucking book. We're saying put the melanin in the role where the lack of melanin often is. It's not just have Bishop also in this book and get three lines in the background. It's have Bishop star in this book in a way that you're used to seeing a white character star in this book in a way that is in no way detrimental to the quality of the book. And in fact, the originality of having a character who never gets to play that role, playing that role will enhance the book with ideas that have never gotten to be there before. And this is the kind of thing that makes me excited about a book three months in advance when I have no idea what's going to be in it. And this will be coming off of uh, War College as well. So Bishop's yeah. about to have a really big moment. And it is so well earned. And it is so, you know, overdue. Yep. I'm just excited to be in it. The idea of this pairing is makes me think of Bishop and Sage, which at first, like, on paper, you're like, oh, they shouldn't really be cool together. But, like, so amazing. Like, oh, my God, they elevated each other. But so, like, I, I love to see this. I love to see this ball. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, for me, just the idea of like a, essentially a, a bottle episode is always one of my favorites. And I feel yes. like this is one of those where it's just going to be the three of them. That's the vibe this for through. sure. Like, no, like they might call on somebody for a page or two, but they're, it's just the three of them all day, every page, every panel. So, yeah. And I mean this unironically. What I like is that the person who has the least overtly, aggressively masculine energy in the modern Krakoan era of this trifecta is Cyclops. 100%. 
And like, I think that's actually really beautiful. Like I'm, yeah. uh, this, I, Steve Orlando, fuck daddy, this book, I am, I'm about it. Let's go to my beach house. Um, let's have a great, I don't have a beach house, but Steve, I'll rent one. So we have one more book and I can't wait to take a look at it because it's uh, the one that I resent the most, <laughs> but that I am most convinced is the most necessary. And that's the four sinisters. Oh, I'm sorry. The sinister four. Uh, and it's got that same sinister six look. Yeah. And uh, this actually ties into when we all thought that uh, David Baldon was going to be on Sinister War and it was going to involve Mr. Sinister. And it didn't. It involved the Sinister Six. And that sucked. But uh, I don't know. I love this cover. Uh, I would watch Lucas Vernick draw a conclusion. So I'm really fine <laughs> to whatever the fucking hell he put on this cover. I love that yep. it's July and we actually see Nightcrawler looks correct. So that gives me hope. I see Colossus on the cover and I'm like, that motherfucker hasn't had a line of dialogue in so long that you would think he's actually a plant of the Russian state. Um, oh. But yeah, how do you guys feel about Sinister Four more Sinisters it's kind of the same thing I was talking about with uh, Sons of X. Like, uh, you know, to to end a whole thing or to have a, a pivot point be a one shot, I I think could be an interesting strategy in in this current era that we're in, where you know we're never sure if any book is going to be an ongoing uh, twelve issue or you know a four or five issue. So this will be really interesting to see. It doesn't really. You know, uh, like I said, I think we all knew Sins of Sinister was going to be just, you know, a thing that we did. And then it it was all a dream, you know, it's an alternate universe, whatever. Everything resets. And so it is not really unexpected that we're going to wrap that up and then return to form and continue the plot. That it is this one shot. That's kind of the most interesting thing, because, you know, usually it would be the start of the next book or whatever. But we're going to do this and we'll go from there. I'm I'm getting word from the multiverse that thanks to what you just said, TK, there is now a universe where the four sinisters are, in fact, the girls from the girl group dream and record a version of he loves you not this. <laughs> I have confirmation from the P Diddy verse that this I in fact happened. I see them in the parachute pants now. I'm just oh, like, okay. yeah. I, I'm waiting for the universe that has all four versions of Sinister, but they're the Golden Girls. So, like, I yes, the as long Google. as they're not the girl from Girls, yeah. Okay, yeah. But um, Stasis is the Lena Dunham of the Marvel universe. Well, each Sinister would need to have a daughter to put her through some nepotism for twenty years and then give her a show. So. Sinister is Apocalypse's nepo baby in a really early way. Mm -hmm. I, I just know he's got a sinister name. That's all I know. I didn't know there were four of him or six of him. Neither did we until like a week ago. <laughs> until we... a week ago, there were one. So wait, so I see two big faces on here. Does that mean that the other two are amongst the people? We don't know who the fourth is. You can the the third one wears a he's got a helmet on. He's in uh, he's in between the other two. It's a little a right he's kind of next to the X. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, it's uh, all four sinisters are have such distinct personalities. It's gonna be really cool to see them 
um interact together like i i can't wait i cannot wait i kind of hope the fourth sinister is destiny i don't know how it would work but i love it was destiny that would be great she's got a mask she's got a diamond on her forehead i don't yeah. see why the fourth sinister can't be destiny is I it that they're all Cylons this whole time? Like, what, like what kind is of, because it's it's they are like clones. We don't really know yet. We got to get all the information. Uh, so, Kevo, our amazing producer, just sent this in, and <laughs> I just need to correct him. I think what he's trying to pitch is cynicity, and everything's gonna be great until in the second season when cynicity cuts his hair. <laughs> I think it's because it's a little bit of that, and then it's a little bit of sin in the city. And... <laughs> da, na, na, na. I, I can see like sinister going down the street is Carrie. Yeah. yeah. The fifth girl is Krakoa. <laughs> <laughs> you're such a sinister. No, you're such a sinister. <laughs> you're such a sinister. I'm the slutty one. You're such an Orbistolatus. Orbistolaris. <laughs> That's the slutty one, and that is the one I am. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> And just like that, I think we can agree I'm the carry. So, um, out of here. That's sinister pride. Am I the gay one? Is that is that what this is? Am I the redhead? I like that all of us were just like, no one claimed Jennifer Hudson from the movie. <laughs> Jennifer Hudson gets to come in and do that role herself. Yeah. Hey, Jennifer. I, like, no, I don't claim Che Diaz from, uh, and just like that. So, okay, we mostly accomplished what we wanted to. We did it we, all. We talked about, uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, <he did. laughs> um, and the number of guys that I have uh, dated over the years that just straight up are, um, oh, I can't think of his name now, Mario Cantone's character. Oh, God. Mm -hmm. oh. Yeah. So, anyway, um, we talked about the vote. We talked about the new books. I wanna, I wanna get everybody's final thought on the vote, and final thought on the new books. For me, my vote frenzy. I'm excited for the progress, and I love that these one shots are really bold. And I look forward to what they're gonna do. I'm Nico. You guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Nico Action. That's N I C O A C T I O N. Hey, everybody, your disco needs you, and so does Dazzler. Vote Dazzler. And you can find me at Dazzler AOA on Twitter and everywhere else. That's Dazzler AOA, like in Dazzlers and Dazzler. Vote for Dazzler. <laughs> I guess that's your final thought on the vote. I'm TK. I'm voting for Frenzy. Uh, this is just going to be a really interesting time. I have fun with all this stuff. There's plenty to complain about, and I sure do complain but at the end of the day, I think it's going to be a very interesting summer of symbiotes, fall of X. I think we have got a lot to look forward to. And I think Frenzy will deal with it all really capably. So, you know, come talk to me about that on Twitter, Instagram, Hive, Tumblr at xnatexgrayx. Um, I'm just here to say, folks, that it, what it's really about is just getting out the vote, you know, be it... Uh, if you're on the side of cannonballs or, or tanks or fireworks or sparkles or anything, honestly, don't let this vote get away. It's really about where you see the future of the X going. And it may not be the candidate that you want, but it's about, the, <laughs> it's about 
where which candidate you you think most reflects what you want to see in the team so um get out there encourage everyone to get involved and just you know make sure that you stay involved and maybe next next year you'll see a candidate that really sparks your plug <laughs> well we have one by the way i love that you're doing all of this in a hamilton shirt ain't never gonna be president um kevo kevo my love oh yeah i want kevo's opinions handsome who is the it that you're voting for? Rigged. <laughs> everything's rigged um it's rigged gosh gosh who do i vote for nico told me that i would vote for prodigy that's what okay. he told me he told, um, you, he told you you would or that you should? Yeah, that's who he thinks I would vote for. Oh. He told me who he would vote for. Right. Um, who I voted for. Like, I voted for Frenzy. Oh, my, yeah. my my dad used to ask my mom, who am I supposed to vote for? And then just, and I'm sort of the same. Oh, wow. Um, that's normally the other way around. I know, right? My dad's tofu. Um, Jubilee, I love that she's always chewing gum. I think that's really cute. I always love that. I love the pink, and I love her Blanche outfit, obviously. Yes! Um, that outfit. Because, wait, no. She's 1989, so technically, is she copying Blanche when yeah, when Jubilee is dressed like that? Is that, like, her second season, something like that? Yeah. My point yeah. is always that these people are referencing something, whether they realize it or not. But, yeah, that's January 1989. Now I'm going to look it up. And I'll get back to the pod with my answer on that. Um, hey, I mean, Bishop dress. We're going like to be talking about the vote more. So, what what is Bishop dress? I have to hear this. What Bishop? What? Like, there's like like a picture of Gary Coleman from a few months before then, like in an outfit almost exactly like Bishop's. Ooh. I for a second thought you were saying Gary Cole, and that's not oh. the case. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> well, I do love it anyway, though. We are out here. This is a. Uh, I'm Kurt Loader, and we are out here to rock the vote. And um, it has been a real pleasure, fucking coming together to do this breaking news segment. Uh, the hosts and I knew it had to be done, and of course, Tori, we couldn't do it without you going. What is it, you people? do here <laughs> i honestly it. i honestly feel like i've just been like pennies sitting on the side listening to you guys go like ham on these comments and being like eating chinese food and going so the blue one right yeah <laughs> well um you, you know you're so always well. right you're always right you just <laughs> you know the tropes and the concepts and yep. the visual cues so well and it's wonderful yep and until we come back to share more amazing wonder with you guys, 2-6, Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, looking at more dark web excellence. This has been X's for Show. You can check us out at xsforshow.com, at X's for Show on YouTube, and all of your show cast places. I'll get this down. It's our first day as X's for Show. And until yeah. next time, keep those mutant lights lit, those Krakoan gateways open. Remember, show not podcast, and we'll see ya. Bye, everyone. Bye.